This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brown. Today, we talk about intercultural competencies. These are the skills, attitudes, and knowledge that enable people to see from different perspectives, helping us get along together as humans. These competencies seem particularly relevant in our current political climate. Also, the backlash we're currently seeing to globalization, the increase in hate incidents around the world, uh, there's just, there's such a need uh, for educational systems to address intercultural competence, um, both with, you know, within the schools, at the student level, but then also that comes back to teacher preparation, teacher education programs, and how universities are preparing and, and, and educating the teachers to help guide the students uh, in their own uh, global competence, intercultural competence development. My guest is Darla Deardorff. She has spent the past decade thinking about intercultural competencies. What are they? Can scholars agree on a common framework? And is it possible to measure them? For Darla, intercultural competencies are as vital as math and science for education. In many ways, there's nothing more important to address through education and in society than global competence. Darla Deardorff is the executive director of the Association of International Education Administrators at Duke University. Her latest co-edited book, Intercultural Competence in Higher Education, International Approaches, Assessment, Application, was published by Routledge in June. Darla Deardorff, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So you've done quite a lot of work on intercultural competencies. What are intercultural competencies? Well, uh, that's a that has can have a very long answer, but I, I will provide you with a short one for now. And basically, uh, intercultural competence is about interacting successfully with those uh, from different backgrounds, whether that's ethnic, religious, socioeconomic, and so on. And so, what what would that actually? entail? What sort of competencies are we talking about? Yeah, so I've actually spent about a decade doing research on intercultural competence uh, and trying to understand basically what's necessary for us to get along together as humans. Uh, so for me, that's, that's really the, the big question uh, and the driving question behind this research. And so um, the work that I've done so far has resulted in one of the first research-based definitions and frameworks of intercultural competence. Um, there's been actually over 60 years worth of scholarly work done on this concept, um, but, but very little that has been research-based. So basically, I was interested in seeing whether scholars could come to some consensus as to exactly what is intercultural competence. And um, so the results uh, came about then in the in the framework from the research I've done and um, in in terms of what's necessary for us to get along together we can look at in terms of which attitudes which skills which knowledge areas are really essential uh, to intercultural competence and so I'm, I'm happy to go into more detail around each of those areas if you'd like for me to but but really comes down to knowledge skills and attitudes um, that are absolutely essential intercultural competence and then that results in uh, some what I've termed internal and external outcomes 
in the end, what we're looking for, what we're hoping for, is behavior and communication that is both effective and appropriate. And, um, and both of those words are really important because often we might think about folks who've been really effective in what they do, but quite inappropriate in how they go about doing it. And for intercultural competence, we need, we need uh, communication and behavior that, that's both effective and appropriate to the, to the individuals that we're interacting with. So could we go into some more of these um, you know, specifics on the attitude and the skills and the knowledge just to get a better understanding of, of, of these competencies? Based on the research I've done, there were three key attitudes that emerged as being absolutely essential to intercultural competence development. And uh, those have to do with curiosity of really wanting to learn more about the other person, openness, open-mindedness, and respect of truly valuing the other as a fellow human, especially uh, when we don't agree. And so those three attitudes are, are considered to be absolutely essential to intercultural competence. In terms of the knowledge areas, um, quite a bit focused around cultural self-awareness, of being able to understand from others' perspectives, and then in terms of the skills, it has to do with listening, observing, um, relating, evaluating, knowing what to do with the information uh, that we receive. And then together, those knowledge, skills, and attitudes um, brings us to this point of what happens inside an individual. Uh, this is termed the internal outcomes that will ideally help us become more flexible and more adaptable in how we relate to others, um, that in the end we will have developed some empathy and um, really being able to begin to see the world from others' perspectives, even though that's really actually quite tough to do. And then with the, the internal outcome comes the external, which, which I've already described in terms of the behavior and communication that's both effective and appropriate in intercultural situations and in, in situations when we're interacting across difference. And most of that occurs every day because none of us are identical to each other. And so we are interacting across difference every day. And, and so really thinking about what, what that means, what that looks like, and what's necessary for us to be successful in those interactions. So is there, in a sense, a universal definition of intercultural competencies that crosses cultures around the world? That's a really good question, and that was actually one of the questions I had kind of coming into some of the research I've done. Um, I, I, short answer is no. <laughs> but the, the research I've done, in, like I said, is, is the first um, consensus-based definition and, and framework around intercultural competence, and, uh, and that framework has certainly found resonance in, in quite a few different cultural contexts. Um, for example, that framework is being used in, in places like China and Mexico and um, Brazil and, and lots of different places around the world. Um, but that being said, I think um, it, you, certainly the elements I described can be contextualized for specific um, situations and interactions. Uh, but interestingly enough, um, there was only one element within intercultural competence that I described that, that all the experts agreed on uh, 100% as being absolutely essential to intercultural competence. And that was being able to see from others' perspectives. 
And so that has led me to, to my own burning question over the last several years of, in terms of what are other perspectives on intercultural competence. And that has led me to do research in China, in South Africa, uh, in Japan, and other places to try to really understand what does this look like in, in, other, um, in other areas around the world. Because so much of the literature around intercultural competence has, has really come out of the global north. Uh, predominantly from the United States and from Europe uh, and so trying to understand what what are other perspectives uh, and and not surprisingly those those can be quite different how so um, well for example in the global north the focus is predominantly on the individual and, and as, as I was describing this uh, initially I, I talked about the knowledge skills and attitudes of an individual and when we start to look at other perspectives and definitions of intercultural competence, um, there's a shift uh, in, in some cases, uh, even with how one views the individual. So for example, in South Africa, the concept of Ubuntu um, comes into the conversation. And for those who may not be familiar with Ubuntu, um, it talks about how I am because we are. We are because I am. That it's impossible to separate the individual from, from the group. Uh, because you know what I do impacts others and vice versa, so even this the individual identity can shift uh, depending on the context. Um, in other cultures and other regions around the world, um, there's much more of a focus on relationship and the relational aspects of intercultural competence. So the focus again is not so much driven on a single individual and the knowledge, skills, and attitudes of that individual. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, UNESCO, uh, the United Nations, was tried to do a project looking at regional perspectives on intercultural competence. They, they weren't trying to necessarily come up with a universal definition, but, but a few years ago I was involved with this project um, trying to look at what are various regional perspectives around the world, and, and it resulted in a publication that actually can be downloaded from UNESCO simply called Intercultural Competences. Um, but nonetheless, there wasn't a, a, a universal definition even then that, that was developed, uh, again, because of these different variances when we really start to delve into the different perspectives around this construct. It would seem to me that language would play a very large role in being able to understand the other, to be respectful and um, see from other perspectives. Um, so what, what is the role of, of language and foreign language um, in intercultural competence? Another excellent question, and, and one that I also had, particularly because I was coming from this more uh, from a language teaching perspective. I have a background in teaching English as a second language, so I personally feel that language is quite important. Um, interestingly enough, in the research I did, uh, the experts involved in my study could not reach consensus on the role of language in intercultural competence, which really surprised me. And I had a colleague who did a similar study with a different group of experts, and he had the same finding. They could not reach consensus on the role of language. Why? Yeah. So when I went to, to try to follow up on this to say, why, you know, why not? It, it just seemed like that would be a, a really important role. Um, the experts I worked with uh, most often cited the case of, of knowing fluent fools, of those who might know the grammar and vocabulary of a language, but be interculturally incompetent in navigating the cultural parameters. 
and so they were saying it was um, insufficient uh, in terms of achieving intercultural competence. And so uh, therefore they, they could not necessarily reach consensus on the role of language. And what about the other side? What were the, you know, the people that disagreed with these, um, the, the experts who were arguing for the, or saying that they were fluent fools? What about the other side? That was, that seemed to be what really came up the most, um, is that it was um, necessary, but not sufficient for intercultural competence. That in the end, it was much more about the attitudes, about how one approaches others initially, um, out of respect and openness and wanting, really wanting to learn about the other, that, that that's what really mattered more. Hmm. It's strange because to, to really understand someone else, it seems like you would have to be able to actually communicate. It does seem like it. And, and that's, um, that was certainly part of that external outcome finding in my own research. But interestingly enough, of course, communication involves more than words. Um, words are just a small part of, of all of how we communicate. So let's shift gears now to look at the role of education systems. So now that we have an understanding of intercultural competencies, a general understanding, what is the role of schools and education in the process of cultivating these intercultural competencies? Well, one important finding from my research is that intercultural competence development is a lifelong process. Uh, for teachers and for students. And so there's no one point at which any of us become interculturally competent. And that has real implications then uh, for schooling and for education. Um, to understand that students as well as teachers are in different places in the developmental process of intercultural competence. Um, that a one-size-fits-all doesn't necessarily work um, for all students. Um, that the preparation and, and training of teachers around intercultural competence is absolutely critical. Um, and so it's important to, to recognize all those different pieces when we are talking about education systems uh, implementing intercultural competence development. Uh, and so as we look at what's, what's really important, uh, first it starts with the curriculum. Uh, and not just the content, the knowledge that is taught, but actually also the delivery and the teaching methodologies. And uh, seeing to what extent does the curriculum reflect different perspectives. That is such a key piece of intercultural competence of being able to see the, the world and issues and so on from different perspectives. So to what extent are those represented in the curriculum? Um, and within the curriculum, it's important to also ask whose knowledge is being privileged and whose voices are missing. And so these are, these are some examples of key questions that really need to be explored further uh, in terms of the, of the curriculum itself and, then, and how it's delivered. In terms of um, how to develop intercultural competence, research is showing the importance of experiential learning uh, and of, of really even moving beyond the classroom or if in the classroom, it's, it's uh, looking at the teamwork that might take place, the actual interactions. Um, at the undergraduate level of, of post-secondary education, um, there have been some studies that show uh, the value of service learning, of meaning getting the students into the communities, into the local communities, having them interact um, with, with those who live there and learning from each other mutually. 
And so, and then of course, study abroad has traditionally been a go-to uh, way of developing intercultural competence, uh, particularly at the uh, at the undergraduate level. But just to add in a point here, that just sending students abroad does not result in making them interculturally competent. Um, that is a that is a myth um, that that we really need to address. Um, there's so much that goes into a quality experience, whether that's a cross-border experience or even within our own local communities in terms of how we are able to connect with others um, and as to whether that actually results in enhancing intercultural competence development or not. And what about some of the the politics here? I mean, it seems like, um, you know, talking about does, does national curriculum reflect the voices of, of the different ethnicities or cultures inside of a nation state, that would seem to be not necessarily what the the ruling powers to be would necessarily want, particularly in some conflict areas or places that are um, have many ethnicities and cultures. So how you know how does how do politics figure into this notion of intercultural competencies? Well, quite a bit, particularly in, in regions of the world where, where there, um, there is a national curriculum. And of course, I'm based in the United States, and, uh, and there, there's not necessarily, quote, a national curriculum here, per se, um, but certainly in places where there is, uh, that definitely enters into it quite heavily, actually. Um, and so it's important to, to really consider the context, um, including the political, social, historical, economic uh, Etc. that goes into really the, the whole contextual piece in understanding the best ways to, to try to address intercultural competence. And c- continuing on about um, the role of education in schools and teaching intercultural competencies, are, are these competencies being assessed anywhere? Yes, they actually are. And both, I, I would say particularly at the uh, post-secondary level, there's been a huge emphasis uh, in recent years, in in and uh, ass- how we assess intercultural competence, and this has been another area of my own research and work. In fact, I had a book come out two years ago on demystifying outcomes assessment for international educators, um, where we really delved into the uh, logistics of what that looks like um, and trying to make it very manageable in, in assessing intercultural learning. Um, but then it's also taking place um, within the primary and secondary school as well. And in fact, in uh, next year, in 2018, the PISA, Program of International Student Assessment, will include global competence as part of that assessment. And I've been involved on the expert team in working on developing that. <laughs> so, I mean, this brings up an interesting question. So PISA, the, the Program for International Student Assessment, is, is given, you know, in many countries all around the world. Um, and it's supposed to be some sort of a standardized test um, in math and science, but now perhaps intercultural competencies. But earlier you said that you know one size um, doesn't fit all or doesn't work for all um, when it comes to teaching intercultural competencies. So how would a standard test actually work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> and that's something we've really been struggling with as we've been looking at this for, for PISA um, and for global competence because that is a standardized test. And based on the research and work I've done, um, if we're really serious about assessing intercultural competence or global competence, it's in the end, it's really important to use a multi-measure, multi-perspective um, approach to assessing this that, that generally, uh, even though there are over 140 some different instruments existing, 
that measures some elements of, of intercultural competence of this construct, um, that there's no one best tool, there's no one tool that can really um, assess and measure the complexities of this. And so given, given this and all the work that's been done around assessment, um, as we approached the, the PISA standardized test, we, we decided it would be really important to, that there's no way that, that, that PISA can assess the whole of and the complexity of global competence. And so we decided to prioritize and hone in on a few key areas that, that a test could perhaps measure within the parameters of PISA. And so um, there will be a lot of caveats <laughs> around the reporting of this. And, uh, and really focusing much more uh, on the cognitive levels uh, associated with global confidence because that's, that's a bit easier um, to assess through, through the PISA parameters. Is there anything that worries you about um, including intercultural competencies on PISA? Not necessarily worries me. I would say, um, in general, as we've discussed and, and talked about this, um, it's really positive that the OECD is, and the countries uh, that are involved in this want to include this uh, as part of it, of the PISA assessment, because it really helps to raise awareness of the absolute importance of global competence, particularly now more than ever, given the, the political climate and realities around the world, uh, and that it, it allows for opportunities for discussion um, at the, you know, the ministerial levels, on down to the school level. And so, in general, we see this as a, a very positive development. Um, we understand that there's not going to be any perfect test or measure of, of global competence, but it really is very good in terms of generating awareness and discussion, and hopefully, in the end, perhaps integrating it more into the, the various educational systems around the world. Because I, in many ways, there's nothing more important to address through education and in society than global competence. So I just recently read um, a UN report that said that in 2016, there were 65 million displaced people in the world. I mean, that, they say that's a record um, since recording the data has begun. Um, so does that put new urgency on the need for intercultural competencies inside education? I would say that it does, uh, and not just the, the, this huge number of displaced uh, people, but um, also the backlash we're currently seeing to globalization, um, the, the, the increase in hate incidents around the world. Uh, there's just, there's such a need uh, for educational systems to address intercultural competence, um, both with within the schools at the student level, but then also that comes back to teacher preparation, teacher education programs, and how universities are preparing and, and, and educating the teachers to help guide the students uh, in their own uh, global competence, intercultural competence development. This is just absolutely crucial. And in fact, um, there's a, I'm reminded of a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., uh, which I find incredibly relevant today. Uh, than ever before, when he said, we must learn to live together as brothers and family or perish together as fools. That it, This is not something that comes easily. We have to learn how to live together and if, and, and in order to survive as, as a human family sharing this planet. And so I see that this, the ed educational systems around the world can play a really key role in this endeavor.
And what would be some of the major, in a sense, roadblocks to achieving education systems um, teaching intercultural competencies? Like, are there actually opponents to intercultural competency? I think there are, um, and particularly the roadblocks, you've already kind of alluded to, to this earlier in terms of the various policies or structures that may be in place that... Um, that would already prescribe a certain curriculum um, uh, and certain ways of teaching and so on. So I think, the very, the, depending on the contexts um, of the educational systems around the world, uh, some might prove more limiting than others in terms of what would be possible. Um, and, and certainly this can be seen as a threat if it's if in terms of opening it up to, to various perspectives, including indigenous perspectives or or other perspectives of minority groups that might normally um, not be heard or represented um, in the in the curriculum or in the schooling. So I, I know there are those who might um, might be concerned about this, but in the end, it, it really is in the best interest of humans to to understand what is necessary for us to learn to live together. And so, are you are you hopeful that that humans will be able to actually embrace these ideas and introduce them into national education systems? I am hopeful. Uh, we're, you know, we're encouraged by, for example, the, the developments with PISA and, and looking forward to what might result um, from, from, uh, from the 2018 uh, PISA test around global competence and, and seeing the, the ramifications of that, what that might have in terms of, of educational systems. Um, and the continued conversations, I know at the post-secondary level, uh, there's been a, a, a huge increase in terms of um, the, the, the conversations around intercultural competence um, within uh, undergraduate education uh, in numerous countries around the world. There's, a, there's a, an increased interest in this and uh, in terms of how do we best prepare our students to live in, in such diverse societies around the world, because regardless of of where they live, there's a good chance they'll be working with people who are different from them. And so it really is in the best interest to understand what are the best ways to prepare students um, to really function and navigate within the diversity um, that we find in today's society. Well, Darla Deerdorf, thank you so much for joining Fresh Head. It really was a pleasure to talk today. Thank you again so much, and I encourage all your listeners to continue uh, working uh, as we all continue to work toward uh, making this world a better place. Thank you so much. Darla Deerdorf is the Executive Director of the Association of International Education Administrators at Duke University. Her latest co-edited book, Intercultural Competence in Higher Education, was published by Routledge in June. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, and Hong Zhong. Aggie Hu is Fresh Ed's social media coordinator. And original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>